For the first time on Inside Music Cast, we turn our focus to the land down under and one of its extremely talented artists, Kerry Buchanan. Having been heavily influenced by his father, Kerry began playing piano at the age of three, picked up the drums at 10, and by the age of 12, he was already diving into sessions. He's worked with some of the finest musicians in Australia, including Tina Arena, Marsha Hines, Casey Chambers, Bella, Rick Price, and Delta Goodrum, to name a few. Kerry was the founding member of the Bodacious Cowboys, a Steely Dan tribute band, as well as the duo Kerosene with his writing partner, Glenn Bidmead. In 2009, Kerry released his first solo album titled Starting Over and has recently released his second solo project, Goodbye Yesterday. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Kerry Buchanan. Hey, Kerry, thanks for joining us today. How you doing, guys? Good, good, good. good. Hey, well, you know, first of all, we want to start off by congratulating you on your newly released album titled Goodbye Yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eddie and I have had a chance to sink our teeth into this one, and it's, you know, it's, it's so fantastic on, on many levels. And, you know, we're going to talk more about that new album in a bit, but, you know, I want to start off, Eddie and I want to start off by learning a little more about you know, your musical past and what shaped you as a musician. And uh, you jumped into music really early. I, you know, I read that you started learning piano when you were like three, and then you moved over to drums when you were 10. And, uh, you know, I, I was just kind of assuming based on what I know about your dad, Stu, did he instill this passion for music in you? I think so. Um, he was always very encouraging. And my mother was always, uh, and she still is very encouraging. Uh, it, um, I think I got it from dad's um, a mother who passed away quite early on in his uh, in, in, when he was quite young, but she had the flair. She had that like the spark, and Dad could probably I think they could see that I had the spark as well. And uh, I, you know, I just I'm 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 so glad that I started learning the piano at three um, and uh, learning uh, classical and uh, you know baroque sort of pieces and doing piano competitions and you know it was at back then you're going man I don't want to do this you know (laughs) like looking back and you're going wow this is I was so glad yeah I I did I did that it's you know learning technique on the piano which I've lost but yeah it's it's a great grounding you know yeah yeah hey Carrie you know as as many of our guests here in Inside Music Cast you know they they've started playing when they're pretty young so when you were 12 years old, you know, you started playing even some gigs. And we've heard those stories before from other guests that, you know, they're, they're really young and they're, they're playing these gigs. And a lot of these gigs that you were playing on are, were projects for, uh, for radio in New Zealand. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. yeah. Um, by the time I sort of got to about, yeah, 10, I think, I think 10 or 11, uh, my brother is, is a great drummer as well. And uh, I would sit at the door listening to him and, you know, he'd go out ice skating and I'd go in and, and smash around on the drums. So by the time I sort of got to 10 or 11, he'd left home and I started doing gigs with, with my dad. We were mm-hmm. doing weddings and, and a few jazz things. And on the weekend, there was back then there was a jazz program, the Radio New Zealand Jazz Program, and the, we'd, they'd have sessions on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, and they'd do a whole year of it, and then the following year they'd play them, and then you, as they were playing them, there'd be another whole year of sessions. So I was pretty much doing all of them except for two or three. So I was so fortunate to be playing uh, quartet, quintet, uh, septets, and uh, septets, and um. And big band things, and you know, and I was so sort of young. I mean, I was green. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but <laughs> um, you know, I was thrust in there. And that's you know, you can only learn by just sort of being you know thrown in the deep end. You know, right. so I was really fortunate. It was, and you know, at the time, going what the 
but now going wow I can I can I can see where those things have come out in my yeah. music now you know absolutely mm. hey well a second ago I you know not to not to jump uh, jump backwards a little bit but I did mention your dad Stu and and yep. I was curious tell us a little bit about your dad was he you know, we know he was a musician but was music his full time gig no dad was a um, well it was eventually but um, dad was a, a freezing worker and a sheep shearer in uh, in the uh, King Country in, in New Zealand, which wow. is in the North Island. And I think he got to about the age of 30, 31. He's going to listen to this and say, this is wrong. But, um, <laughs> he, about the age of 30, 31, mum and dad and my brother, who was born at the time, moved to here, actually, to, to Sydney. And uh, they did a bit and then thought, okay, what are we going to do? And they decided to go back to Christchurch and they, they had me. Uh, and dad, uh, who was just starting that saxophone or learning the saxophone, decided to go to to do his letters. So I think he did LTCL and clarinet and saxophone and, and LRSM. It was just part of after part, um, grade eight, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And that gave him letters to teach in schools. And so the education system back then is very different now. And he could uh, he could teach in schools so he could make good money as a, an itinerant music teacher. Wow. And that's, that's cool. sort of what he did. And then, of course, he... Uh, uh, he started big bands in schools and uh, he was always very motivated and, you know, very proactive in, tra- in education for kids. You know, I, I was just talking about it with a friend last night um, and, uh, I have to, you know, my, I sit in on some lessons with my dad and I just go, wow, you know, that's how you do it. I mean, yeah. he was just very encouraging but at the same time, man, if you, you know, if you, run, if you want to play second trombone in the band, you got to lift your game, you know, so right. start playing in tune. And he was great like that, you know. That's very so, cool. Good, great for kids, you know, it's, um, and, uh, you know, and great on me too, you know. And that was obviously a big part of your music education. It seems that, you sure. know, you obviously learned so much from your father and, and from the uh, early start with sessions and gigs. But did you end up, did you study music formally, like at, at a university or, or a school? No. Okay. I just, I, I, all I did was school certificate music and I, I did a right, but um, I'm a street musician, really. I, I learned from the, the other end and sometimes I wish I'd, I mean, I was, I, I knew I knew how to write charts and arrange and things like that, but mm-hmm. I could have been a lot better if I'd actually, yeah. uh, if I'd done it, pro- you know, I got the Don Sabesky book, I got, I got through the first three pages and, and you know. I went ice skating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I should have actually just really um, knuckled down. But. Yeah, yeah. It seems as if you know when when we talk to to different guests who who didn't go to formal music education or whatever that sometimes for some reason somehow it doesn't quite hold you all the way back because I I relate to what you're saying right now about um, you know early on being exposed to quintets and quartets and so you're hearing all the parts you're hearing everything broken down as you as you're listening and your dad's feeding you all this stuff so in a way you're yeah is it an education of course it's an education so yeah, you know right. it's uh and and that's you know and that just makes who you are right now which brings me to my next question is you know it's obvious who influenced you uh you know as we listen to your music today um but who were the musicians that you were uh, listening to the bands that uh, as you were growing up that you were listening to Toto. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so uh, much. Yeah, Next all the, question. All the guys that you, that's been on your show. Uh, I, rem- I, I think my first impressions of great sort of uh, R&B or contemporary sort of adult pop or rock, there were, there were two instances. One was my brother had uh, he'd ordered two LPs and uh, this guy turned to the door, knocked at the door and said, here's the LPs for, for Mr. Lynn Buchanan and 
and they were Tower of Power back to Oakland and Steely Dan Asia. And wow. that just, that turned, <laughs> that was it. I was just hooked. As soon as I heard Deacon Blues, I just went, wow. Well, that, that's like an education in itself. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Oakland Stroke, you know, I thought, oh, I can't play that. <laughs> I mean, it was just great, great music. And the other time I was, uh, um, I was at a, a party with my mum and dad, I would have been probably you know, 10 or 11. And it was on a Friday night after Dad had done a, a gig somewhere. And we went to this party and, you know, drinks and there was a few people, you know, around. And I ended up sort of talking to this guy and this music was going on in the background. And I kept sort of listening to this, I mean, not listening to this guy talking, just talking bollocks, really. And I, could, I, just, I just said, man, I'm so sorry. I've got to go and find out who this music is. And as I turned around, I heard this brass sort of something like that. And I just went, Jesus. And it was Jerome's Jerome record. So I was listening to uh, Black and Blues, I think it was. Yeah. That, that's it. That's it. I said to mum, we're going to the record shop tomorrow. And we did. And I bought that and Breaking Away. Yeah. Jeez. That was it. That was it. So you started playing the piano. Okay. That, that's given. But how did you gravitate over to the drums and when? Probably my brother's influence. Um, he was right into Jeff Beccaro and Steve Gadd and uh, uh, Rick Marotta and I just loved, he, he would put on music and he would play like that and I, that, I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to play the drums, I wanted to play like that and mm -hmm. uh, so he was a huge influence, you know, and uh, he'll be listening to this too saying, mm -hmm. <laughs> what are you talking about? But uh, <laughs> yeah, he would just play these, um, he, he was, he was m much more technically uh, uh, um, better than I was. Uh, he had more um, independence, basically. He would he could do things with four limbs and sing, and I couldn't do anything like that. Mm -hmm. But the way he uh, the way he played, uh, when he, then he'd go out, and I would just go in there and imitate it. And uh, so that was it. I just sort of thought, oh, well, I'm playing the drums now, you know. Mm -hmm. And I didn't I didn't want to have piano lessons anymore. <laughs> I got boring. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> A little later on, you did some uh, some extensive touring in the mid '80s. Uh, I think it was with was it called the Roger Fox Big Band, and, and also with uh, the New Zealand Youth Jazz Orchestra. And, and then in that's right. And then in '88, you moved from uh, New Zealand over to Australia. And I, I was just curious about what triggered that move to uh, to Australia. The uh, the '87 crash happened, and uh, you know the the eighties was probably the best it's ever going to get, and there was so much work, like in Los Angeles and New York, everyone was working, and even city of you know Christchurch was three hundred thousand people, everyone was working. It was just, and then eighty seven came, the lights went off, hmm, hmm. and I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And so I I thought about it, and Mum just said, you got to go. Yeah. So I left. Mm -hmm. I just uh, I just left and came here and. Uh, and struggled away for a while, and you know you find you find your feet, and uh, but uh, yeah, I know I just had to get out of there. The, it was you know there was nothing there was nothing left right. to do. Yeah, what was happening in Sydney uh, in terms of music at the time? Well, yeah, that's funny because it, I got here and people were saying, "Oh man, there's no work," and I could see all these guys working. I'm saying, "What are you talking about?" You know? <laughs> right. um, but they, uh, um, you know, the same thing. I guess you could say in LA when it was the peak in the 80s, the same thing here. Mm -hmm. There was so much work and, you know, much more prob work probably than in New Zealand. And uh, But I, when I got here, there was plenty of work. It's just you've got to find your niche. It's like yeah. uh, any, going to any place. You've just got to, you know, sit and wait, and which is one of the hardest things to do. But, you know, you find, you find your feet and mm -hmm. 
you do some bad gigs and you work with someone in the band that's great and, you, and then he recommends you for something and yeah. off you go, you know. Right, yeah. right. So once you get did get uh, your your feet on the ground and you're moving ahead, doing some session work, and you know, is um, is there an interesting story of of uh, your first major session or gig, the one that you really feel as if oh, that's the one that really got me going? <laughs> well, the first when I first got here, I was in Brisbane for a little while, and then I came back to, to Sydney because I there was clearly nothing going on up there for for me musically. So I came back here, and uh, there was a. Uh, I think it's still there actually, a jingle house called Song Zoo. And they were pretty much the jingle house of, of pretty much Australia really. But there was yeah. a lot of other ones as yeah. well, but they would have the bulk of work. And I took a, in those days, I took a cassette to them and uh, I said, oh, look, you know, I'm, I know I'm going to be in the queue. No stress, but if someone can't do it, I'm, I'm here. I live across the road, no problem. You know. And I got a call about three weeks later and they just said, um, Kerry, can you come in and, and do a session? No problem. So I got in there. I got in there bright and early because I was, you know, and I walked in and there was a great piano player called Steve Ball on, on piano. Um, I can't think, remember who was on guitar and Leon Kerr. And I just went, <laughs> this is the guy from Brother to Brother, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, so... I, I set up and I was really nervous because this is Leon. I was, I'm always sort of uh, very sort of humble to my peers, you know. And we, we, we played a few takes of this thing. It was just a 30-second jingle. And Leon came in without <laughs> saying a word and he wrote on the chart what I should be playing on the bass drum. And then he walked out and I just thought, Oh shit! What have I done? And I, I, I played, I played the, you know, the the thing on the bass drum, and and it was fine. And we, he didn't really talk to me that day. But then, since then, we've become great friends. But uh, but that was sort of I, that was the start of it, really. I I just I got a jingle, I could play, I turned up on time, I uh, you know I was cool to be around. And then all of a sudden, I started doing you know heaps there, a lot a lot, a lot of sessions there, and that's cool. And a few other sessions with, you know, with other people and albums and things like that. You know, it just sort of, you know, goes viral, I guess, you know. Yeah. And it, fortunately, it went viral. Otherwise, <laughs> it, otherwise, it would have been back in Christchurch. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, in, uh, in 98, you formed a band called Beat Goes On and played regularly at the, the Basement Jazz Club in Sydney. And Man, you guys uh, do your groundwork, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that band was the one, and I, I know about this band because I've heard you, I've seen you post this a lot. But that band band went on to become the Bodacious Cowboys, and it's, it's right. one of the finest Steely Dan tribute bands out mm -hmm, there. And mm -hmm. tell us about the uh, evolution of this band, the Bodacious Cowboys, and and you're still performing the uh, with that no, band, correct? It's no, not. We're not. No, I, not uh, I okay. decided to sort of disband it. I wanted to spend more time on my own thing. Yeah. Okay. I had sort of ran its course, and you know, it's great. You know, but where it, where it came out of was, in fact, the beat goes on. It was uh, um, Carlos Vega had just passed away. Okay. And and I thought, okay, you know, my three favorite drummers, and not in, in no particular order, Jeff Bacara and Carlos, and John Robinson, and uh, I thought, you know. Those two guys have given me so much joy, and I thought let's put a like a a, a night of music with playing um, songs that they've played on uh, with artists. So we and it was four drummers, and so um, it was a great drummer, Andrew Gander, and we've decided we'd put in the Tony Williams part of it too because he'd passed away as well. So we we just played all this great music. I you know I wrote a whole bunch of charts, and we rehearsed and and did a gig, and and it was huge. And I thought. 
okay, I can feel something going on here. So I decided we'd do two drummers and one set would be Toto and one set would be Steely Dan. Okay. Uh-huh. But the Steely Dan thing seemed to be the, not the, nothing wrong with Toto, I love Toto, but it just seemed to be the one that everyone sort of gravitated to. So I thought, yeah. okay. So I, I sort of trimmed it down to just myself on drums. And, I, and we had to think of a name. It was actually going to be called the Luckless Pedestrians. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> but, okay. Yeah. But, uh, that's but it's right. sort of, uh, well, there was another one too. I can't, there was another name we were thinking of, a lyric. And I just said, Bodacious Cowboys. And someone said, man, that's great. So we just <laughs> sort of, that stuck. And we were together for nearly 14 years, I think. And it just, it started getting tired. It started getting people weren't sort of, you know, we've heard that so I thought okay it's probably better to sort of go out on a, on a big note rather than yeah um, you know sort of flogging a dead horse if you know what I mean <laughs> well around uh, 99 or 2000 I think it was in that time period you started to delve into freelance producing composing and, and arranging and, and uh, I was just curious you know having been primarily a musician doing session work what was your motivation uh, to jump into this area of the business mm-hmm. I got sick and tired of lugging my drums around. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reason. You need a, you need a caddy. Uh, no, I was still, I, you know, I, I was still lugging my gear. I don't know. I just, because orchestration and arranging and producing have always, always intrigued me. And it's always been in the back of my mind where I'd go, you know, that would be really cool if there was a mandolin there with a, you know, maybe a fiddle. Uh, I, I just got into hearing those sort of, you know, because producing is sort of, you know, and great producers like David Foster and and, and Jake Radin and uh, Phil Ramone, I mean, they can produce anything, mm-hmm. you know. Phil Ramone, you know, did, you know, Maniac for for um, Michael Cimbello. Then he does Dave Grusin's West Side Story. I mean, he can do anything. So I was intrigued by that. So I wanted to start doing that. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and I just someone said to me a long time ago, you can't sort of get find your way into it. You got to go cold turkey and just do it. Mm-hmm. And I started to do it. And um, you know, and I was still playing at the same time, but I really wanted to turn that corner and and uh, and start doing that because it's 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 so beautiful to be sitting behind the board and hearing these wonderful sort of flavors and colors going, oh, right. man, that's, that's the shit. That's yeah. great. Yep. Yeah. Well, there was a singer-songwriter in Sydney. Her name was uh, Louise Perryman, and that was one of your first projects <laughs> that you that you uh, you worked with her, right? And I mean, you- I used to, yeah. I, I haven't seen her for quite. She she moved away from music. I think she's in television now. But yeah, no, she was great. Yeah, and I did a record. I did a record for her. Yeah. Was that a significant learning experience as a producer? Yeah, I was. Um, I was working with uh, a great singer songwriter here now who lives in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Rick Price. I don't know whether you've ever heard of Rick, hmm. but he he's a great singer, and he he had some big hits in the in the nineties. But he moved over to Nashville, and he's working with Tom now. I think Tommy Emmanuel. Okay. And uh, but he had a little studio around the corner here, and I just was doing some drums for him. I said, "Hey, man, I'm doing this project. Would you would you like to sort of be involved, engineer, and you know, because give me a hand with vocal uh, producing, because that's you know that's a real art in itself." He said, "Yeah, man, let's do it." So. We did one track, I think, outside of there, and the rest of it was done at his place. And uh, I was making it up. I was just completely making it up. <laughs> and then, and I knew some of the things I wanted to hear, but yeah. I was just going, man, I don't want to put a pad here. I want to hear something else. And Rick would say, 
it needs Hammond organ here, you know. So it was a learning curve. It was great, sure. you know. And you've got to open your ears. And and he taught me, he taught me something that was I, that I use every, every time I do something now. Always have a second set of ears. Yeah. And, and that is just, I think it's one of the, some of the best advice I've ever, everything I've ever done, you know, uh, kerosene, starting over my record, uh, goodbye yesterday, always have a second set of ears because you get stuck in there and go, that's out of tune and it's, it's mm-hmm. not. It's just that, you know, you, you, you haven't, you've got to have someone else go, man, move on. It's not, you know. Yeah. So a re- good learning curve and uh, and it was really lovely working with him. And, and she was, um, her, I, would, I think her genius was lyric. She came up with some really good lyrics and uh and you know she was a great singer and and great with melodies too but the lyric side of it she she would just come and, and just said oh, i've written this thing about my nephew oscar and you sort of go oh god you know what's there and she <laughs> she pulled out this you know and she, she was a bit nervous too but she pulled out this thing and she said can i just sing it down once and i said yeah yeah and rick and i sort of looking at each other sort of tearing up it's that it was that sort of it was really heartfelt and really mature lyric, and uh, so it was great learning, great great learning curve. And you know, we we had a great time working together. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Tell us how you eventually connected with uh, Tina Arena. You did some extensive touring with her, right? Yeah. Um, a drummer couldn't do the gig, and we was uh, it was pretty much that. It was it was back in the early two thousands, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'd always wanted to play with Tina because Tina and Rick and John Farnham were sort of like the they were the touring cats here, and if you could get on the yeah. back of one of those, it mm-hmm. was pretty special. So uh, the drummer that uh, I can't remember his name, but he couldn't do it. He we were supposed to, he was supposed to go to France and do three nights at the Olympia, and I got a call and. Um, what are you doing next week? And I said, well, I've got a gig on Saturday night. <laughs> and he said, well, we're rehearsing and then we're heading off to France on Friday and then we've got three. And I just, okay. <laughs> and so that was it. I was in. I was in the deep end. And uh, wow. and I worked with her for nearly 10 years and she's uh, she's just unbelievable. You know, every time I, I was sitting behind the drums, I forget what I was playing because she has that thing where you just can't, Take your eyes. I mean, she's beautiful as well, but you yeah. can't take your eyes off what she's doing and singing. I mean, I mean, mm. it was just. Uh, I mean, it was something else, and uh, right. I can't even. I can't even explain it. And she's great. It was good fun on the road. There was, um, you know, she she would hang with the boys. There was none of this yeah. sort of first class sort of sure. uh, that sort of stuff. She'd just be a really lovely lady, yeah, That's and great, great artist, fantastic songwriter, and uh, and one of the best singers I think I've ever worked with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Glenn Bidmead is one of your close friends and writing partners for 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 a while, and yep. uh, he even he's even worked on the new album that you've uh, you've produced. But tell us a little bit about your relationship with Glenn and the chemistry that you guys have, and and uh, why it works so well. I met Glenn back in 1989 when I was doing when I first moved to Brisbane, and I was playing in a club, and his friend of mine, David Richards, well, he wasn't a friend of mine. He came into the hear the gig. And uh, he came up to me at the bar and said, hey, man, what are you doing next week? I've got this great artist that I'm sort of producing and developing. And I said, nothing, you know. It's a midnight till dawn session, and it was for Glenn. And we played three three songs, I think it was. It was quite a long sort of session and getting parts and whatever. And then I moved out. I got out of there. I got a cassette. And <laughs> God, I sound old, don't I? And uh, I got the cassette uh, and then I went home and I played it and played it. And I thought, this guy is just something else. Great songs, great singer. That was it. I didn't see Glenn for 
oh, probably just over 10 years. And oh. I was moved to an area where he was living in here. And we went up, um, my girlfriend at the time went up and had some dinner and whatever. And there was a, a duo playing. And it was Glenn and another guitar player. And I went up and said, it's Glenn, isn't it? He said, yeah. And I said, it's Kerry. And so we sat down and we just sort of chewed the fat and we just talked about music and Steely Dan. And we were both into the Nick Kershaw record at the time, 15 minutes. So we uh -huh. just talked about that for like <laughs> half an hour. And he said, man, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, nothing. He said, come over to the studio and let's, let's – um, Let's hang out. And I said, okay. So I went over to the studio. We sat down and wrote a song, the one that got away. We wrote that in about an hour and a half. Wow. That was the start of it. That was wow. it. We were just, so from then on, we just, well, I mean, we don't sort of hang out as friends, but we, we dig each other and we have a lot of fun. But um, when we get together, we just, it's just, it's the ultimate connection that you'd ever want. You know what I mean? Like right. Donald, Donald finding Walter, yeah, John right. finding <laughs> uh, Paul. Right. You just go, this is it. It's, yeah. you know, it's the, the, the connection. It's just, it's just amazing. So when you two sat down and, and wrote that song, is, was that one of the tracks that landed on your kerosene project? That's right. Okay. That's right. And, uh, yeah, we wrote four songs in literally, I would say, two weeks. And, I wow. mean, that's uh, – we, we'd write them in a day uh, or even, like, a, a few hours. We'd come back and maybe fix uh, a few lyrics or whatever and – we just got it, it was like this is too good to be true you know yeah, like yeah, this right. there's, there's no way that this is happening but right. we still we still do it and whether it whether whether it's great or, or whatever it doesn't that doesn't really matter to me I, it turns me on it gives me goosebumps when i yeah. when we do it and uh, and that's the main thing i think you know yeah, well, that in case you know people at home are listening and, and uh, they don't know what kerosene it's it's a band that you guys formed uh, back in around 2006, and mm -hmm. you put out an album titled Art of Survival. And uh, mm -hmm. this, you know, you sent me that CD a while back, and, and uh, you know, that album has such a cool vibe. And, it, you know, it's a little bit country, a little bit pop, blues, rock. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's just a really cool sound, really well-produced, really, really well-recorded. And, uh, you, know, the, uh, the you know, the musically, it's fantastic. Yeah, I think um, we were both really proud of that. Uh, it took us too long. It took us about four years. We'd record something, we'd go away and work and save some money, we'd come back and do the same thing. But uh, I think we got a bit lost at, at, towards sort of the end. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, look, you know, that's just that's how we feel about it. But I think as the listener, I, I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about it. So that's, uh, that's always a, uh, that's, that's a plus for sure. Like I said, it's it's you know it's musically stellar, and and Glenn's vocals are are really amazing. He's a great singer, and you know you know who he reminds me of. I don't know if anybody mm -hmm. has said this to him before. Maybe they have, but he, you know, I, obviously it has a little country twist to it. But his vocals remind me a little bit of Richard Page. Yep, exactly. Bit, yeah, uh, and you get no argument there. And we uh, one of the songs actually, uh, I think it was the yes, yeah, the title track, um, Out of Survival. I was listening to, and don't tell Richard Pages. Um, <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to Richard's Shelter Me record uh -huh. on the way to with you know we were talking about man, we need something that sort of because we had a lot of ballads and. I said, we need something uplifting and a little bit sort of more positive rather than sort of down in the, uh -huh. down in the dumps. And I was playing the first track, which is, um, what, I can't remember, the best thing I think it's called. Yes, the best and I was thing. Playing, uh -huh. Yeah, and I was playing that on the way and I just thought, 
those, I mean, I love those changes, those chord changes. So I got there and I just, <laughs> I turned them around and, uh, and, uh, and that's how we sort of came up with Art of Survival. And, and that's exactly right. He, uh, Glenn listens to Richard Page and, uh, very much the same, uh, the, the same texture and the same, uh, approach. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, Carrie, can you hold on a second? Cause I just got a call from Richard Page. He wants to talk to me. <laughs> he, just, he just he just heard you mention that, and I think he's got a Steve George. No problem. <laughs> well, you, you, obviously, Eddie mentioned a second ago that you and Glenn continue to work together, and in fact, like we mentioned, he performed on your latest album. And I'm, but I'm just kind of curious if we can expect more uh, from Kerosene, you know, that that style of music. Would you think you guys might do anything more in the future? Yeah, I think so. I uh, I said to him, um, I've got. I've probably got one more record in myself to do soon, I guess, if I can, if I can afford to do it again. But um, I did say, look, I really want to get some of the music out of my own, even though Glenn's very much a co-writer, but um, I had a lot of that sort of jazz, pop, rock, R&B. I just wanted to get it out of my, yeah. um, out of my mind. So I've done that. And, uh, but we did speak the other day and I said, man, we've got to do an a kerosene record again he said yeah we really need to start doing something because mm-hmm. you know it's i love that sort of music it's a you know uh, uh, kerosene reminds me of sort of um, jackson brown type records except it's got a little bit more r&b mm-hmm. to it so yeah. like um you know um, it's a fused sort of thing of fused of little feet um even rolling stones to some degree um and uh but an r&b sort of twist to it as well you know it falls between the cracks with Labels, they just go. Well, what are we going to do with this? But um, yeah, we need to we need to start doing another record for sure. Yeah, sure. Hey, five years ago, you um, recorded your first solo album, starting over, and mm-hmm. maybe some of our listeners have that. Um, this was a great debut album, and it can obviously it contained a lot of different styles that uh, that you were weaving into your, your projects: pop, rock, R and B. But and but it was also very unmistakable uh, sound of, of West Coast. That vibe was very strong. For this yeah. being your first solo, um, you know, did uh, you must have been really pleased with it? It was a it was a great project. I yeah I can't play it anymore, but then uh, that's quite often with a lot of people with mm-hmm. their records. But um, I the I I heard I think it was on on here on um, IMC. Steve Lukather has said um, records you can put lots of tastes and flavors on them, and not just sort of keep it if it's an R and B record or if it's a country record or whatever. And I, that stuck with me. And then I thought, and then I, for a couple of days later, I put on Thriller, Michael Jackson, and I mean, you know, that's, there's this beat it, and then there's the R&B things, and and, uh, and sort of, you know, your Thriller, your dance track or whatever, and I thought, man, I can just, I can do whatever I want. So I put a, a rock thing on there, and, a, a, you know, a ballad, and then, you know, it's, you know it's at the end, there's like a sort of a, a hymn type thing, and I just thought I can, you know, I'll do what I want, you know. This time around, I've probably made it a little bit more cohesive, but yeah, yeah I mean, and, uh, but, you know, the, I love Fender, I love the Fender Rhodes and yeah. uh, the Skank guitars and, you know, the nice backing vocals and pads, and that's sort of always turned me on. So, uh, yeah, it's it's good. I like I said, I haven't listened to it for quite a while, but yeah. I might actually turn it on today. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, let's take a uh, quick break and let's check out a track from Carrie's Goodbye Yesterday release that just uh, came out in the past couple of weeks, and this is a track called "Slipping Away."
Just when you think you got it right, the truth behind the fantasy has taken over me. Cause I've been searching all my life. Finally thought I'd found the one. Now it's all undone. I'm tired of hanging on your broken promises. Just when I thought we were getting closer, it seems we're slipping away. I feel our love is slowly slipping away. No longer one and only, 'cause you and I, we were meant to fly. Slipping away. What can I do without you? Slipping away. Tell me where do I begin to start on getting over you? What can I do if only we could start again? Maybe I should walk away. No more to say. We were just getting to the good part, you and me. Then I turn around, it's over. You say. We're slipping away. I feel our love is slowly slipping away. No longer one and only, 'cause you and I, we were meant to fly. Slipping away. What can I do without you? Slipping away. And everything about you still breaks my. Away. I know what you're saying, but do you know? Say it's not so. And all the games you play.
jumping ahead, in, in 2011, you had, you know, of course, a, a very unfortunate incident. You know, you were hit by a car and you were in pretty serious condition. And, and I remember when this happened uh, because I, you know, uh, I, I, you know, read about it on Facebook and I was, Eddie and I, we, we knew about it. We were praying for you every day and hoping, you yeah, know, you'd fully recover. Nice. And, uh, you know, thankfully you're in good health and, and back to making music. But I have to ask, you know, having experienced such a, you know, horrific incident did this experience have any impact on the songwriting for your new album goodbye yesterday yeah it uh when i got out of hospital i think it was um a week after i had a piano set up here and uh, i just started writing and uh and pretty much sort of every day i'd tinkle away and i had all these ideas on manuscript i'm still old school on manuscript, and then and one of the tracks I wrote was "Slipping Away," which is on the new record, and another one is called "Happy When I'm Sad," which is quite a sort of introspective thing. Which is a bonus track, actually, will be for Japan. I just started writing, and uh, so yeah, it it actually gave me a. It was probably because I, I couldn't really do anything either, because I was still on crutches and I yeah. was uh, I was sleeping a lot and things like that. But it, it was um, it was a, that was probably a good excuse to actually sit down and. And write, and yeah. I and I just flowed out of me some of it, you know. Yeah. And it was it's it was actually quite sort of cathartic. I'd sort of walk away and I go, man, I just just nearly finished the song. I mean, I hadn't finished the, all the lyric, but I got all the arrangement and and things like that, and I just the title. And uh, so it was, yeah, it was some. It was a really good thing to come out of it, you know, just mm-hmm. really honing on the, the songwriting skills. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was thinking about the title of the album, "Goodbye Yesterday." Is there is there a, a personal meaning behind that title? <laughs> no, actually, there's there's two songs. Uh, Glenn and I were um, this before before my accident. But Glenn and I were just sort of talking one day, and, and uh, I I'd, I'd resisted Facebook. I just was. I thought, nah, it's bollocks. But then I sort of opened up to it, and I realised that you know it's it's really fantastic if you use it for the right reasons and uh i met this lady on there called candy corvin who was a friend of a friend right and uh she said hey look i'm a lyric writer and i said okay and she said and i thought yeah okay so she said can i send you something and i said yep and two songs stuck straight out to me and the lyrics are great but the titles got me and one was uh until i found you which is on the record mm-hmm. and good and goodbye yesterday mm-hmm. and so that it nothing really significant as far as the lyric is concerned but the titles uh, candy came up with them and uh i think the two are the stronger tracks on the record and they, i just think the titles i thought the titles were beautiful and so yeah but there's no hidden hidden meaning or anything like that <laughs> 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 yeah, well, you're talking about that track that Candy wrote uh, with you until I found you, and, um, mm-hmm. and you know I know Candy from Facebook also, and and uh, oh, yeah. I, th- I think she's she's probably a fan of Insight. That's probably how she knows us mm-hmm. is through Inside Music Cast. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, you just mentioned that. I mean, how did you actually enlist Candy to help out on this track and the other one you mentioned? It was pretty much she, as with anything, you've got to. She she sent the lyrics, and Glenn and I said I had I had the uh, an idea. And once I started an idea, Glenn and I sort of kick off each other and then the song's sort of done. We had to massage the lyric, so we had to just use a, you know, use a few things, maybe add a word here, take a word out or whatever. But it, primarily the inspiration is apart, not necessarily musically but lyrically yeah. is from her. And so that's, and you know, anyone that says that that's, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's the you know ten percent of the of the songwriting thing is that's that's bullshit. You know, she's very much a big part of it, and uh, and so if, if we hadn't connected, I would have never got the titles, yeah. wouldn't, and we'd never have written the song. So <laughs> she's um, and, and she sent me a lot of a lot more too, and we'll 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 delve into it eventually. It's just we haven't had sort of time with this record, but she she's she's great, and she's a lovely lady. I've talked to her on Skype, and mm-hmm. and she's she's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Goodbye Yesterday is definitely something that um, we'd expect from Carrie Buchanan, uh, meaning yeah. that what we mean by that is that, you know, the production, the qu- recording quality, it, it's really beautiful. It's, it's pristine and it's excellent. And But it also takes me and Rick and probably anybody who listens to it back uh, to an instant trip back in the, the 80s, West Coast pop and R&B, you know. Yeah. Um, you know. But compared to starting over, um, you know, we feel that like this album is going to, Probably go deeper into the love of your of the style of the the West Coast vibe. I mean, you uh, yeah. you weren't afraid to go in deep on this. No, uh, that's what, <laughs> the one thing about uh, Kerry Buchanan. He just he, uh, if he does anything, he does it you know to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, so uh, it was. Uh, I'm not gonna. I don't cut corners. I want the best. I get the best. Uh, you know and. Uh, if I can't get it, I'll I'll wait till I can. So it was, yeah, I was a big, huge project. It took a long, long time to do, but it, you know, the stars aligned. You know, as you know, Mark Jordan did the artwork, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, some great internationals on it. And you know, and I we recorded to tape for the tracking session, so it sounds warm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, so it's you know, I really wanted to dig deep, especially on the songwriting too, and get get the, get a good stack of songs rather than eight and two that you can't listen to, if that makes any sense. And that's, oh, yeah. that can happen, you know. So, you know, you did you did record the whole album analog, right? No, just the tracking dates. Just the tracking so, dates. Yeah, so it was uh, the drums, bass and guitars and roads and pianos. Actually, I think piano went digital because we were going um, tape and, and pro tools at the same time. Yeah. But primarily the... the I find, I find the most uh, the most analog sounding things are the drums and the bass. Yeah, mm-hmm. very and much so. That, yeah. That, yeah, so the, uh, and the, I think a couple of vocals went down uh, tape too, but I think they sound better digital too. I'm, that's just my ears, but uh, primarily just the drums and the bass. That's why it sounds so sort of punchy and thick and warm. Yeah, you know? it definitely does. Hey, the opening the opening track on the album is called "If You Need Somebody," and it has Gary Pinto on on lead vocals. And you know, I, I, this song was actually a holdover from your first album. Is that right? Yeah, I had it lying around, but I was I was I was scared because I was very much. There's a few songs on starting over that aren't mine, and I was scared to sort of put. Um, I'd lacked, I lacked I lacked confidence anyway, but uh, I lacked confidence with my songwriting, and I thought I pl- I had it sitting around. And I thought that's just it just doesn't sound good. It's you know. And then when I got out of hospital, I started playing around with it, and I thought, hey, this is so, it ain't too bad, you know. And we started tracking it. It fell together, and all of a sudden, I could hear the Benson type things yeah uh, and uh, and you know and all the prop PVs that I do and you know and it was just it came together great and it's one of my favourite things on the record actually it sounds really cool yeah we don't know but we might we could just get it right we could
that was the track If You Need Somebody from our guest today, Carrie Buchanan. And then there's Slipping Away, which is a neat track. Uh, um, you, you actually began writing this uh, song shortly after leaving, leaving the hospital, right? Yeah, a week after. Okay. Yeah. And you and I, It was actually it was called Give It Away. Gotcha. And then I thought Slipped Away because there was a great song by Toto called Slipped Away. Yeah. And I, th- and I thought, mm, that doesn't really work. And <laughs> there were so many songs called Slipping Away. And I just thought, <laughs> um, you know, Leon Ware's Slipping Away. There's a guy called Max Merritt who used to live over here from New Zealand. And he had a great song called Slipping Away. And I just thought. Well, you can you can use titles, but you know you've got to watch out for play, plagiarism. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just used it, and it's it works. It sounds it yeah. sounds good. Rolls off the tongue, and yeah, it sounds good. Oh yeah, well, well, Glenn sent, uh, did the vocals on it, but on this one here, on this track, you know, this is one where you're drumming. It sort of has a, you know, I hate to say it like this, but it, but I think you know what I mean. Um, it has a Jeff Procaro feel to it, you know, and it's don't uh, hate to say that. Don't I mean, <laughs> exactly. Stroke, stroke my ego, man. Yeah, well, pocket, it, it does. You wanted. Yeah, well. <laughs> It, it does have that feel. Talk to us about uh, you sort of, uh, if you want to say, channeling that uh, that feel, how, how you did that. Uh, pretty much every time I sit down to play the drums, I think about uh, the three drummers, and that's Carlos, John Robinson, and Jeff Picara. And right on, on that uh, on that track, I just knew that's if if I if if he was alive, God, you know, rest in peace. If he was alive, I would have got him to play on it because yeah. I know that he would have, you know. He just that sort of thing. He's just he's just. I mean, he's, he's great at everything, but uh, that that sort of tale of a man thing off um, off uh, the the Toto. I can't remember the twenty years or whatever it is. Those sort of sixteenth notes things are just. You know, they were just so powerful and beautiful, and that's all yeah. I was just thinking about Jeff. That's all I was doing. You know, it's just yeah, just trying to play like him. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, another track that. Um that I really love is never going to give you up. And, and this, this track is one infectious tune with a really deep groove. And it has, you know, so many incredible pieces to, you know, a, a musical puzzle happening. You know, most obviously you've got Bill Champlin on lead vocals and you, you've also uh, got Louis Shelton on this track laying down, you know, just an incredible guitar solo. And I think you told me in a chat online that he nailed that on the first take, right? He did a couple of takes, but that was the first one. Yeah. And uh, and we went up to his house. I was doing some guitars up, up in Lismore with Jim Kelly, who's a great guitar player. We used to be in a band called Crossfire. I don't know whether you guys know Crossfire, but they were um, they, they were around in the uh, late seventies, early and eighties too. Uh-huh. Like, great band. Um, and they did Crossfire with uh, Lee Ritnett. Lee Ritnett came out and Michael Franks mm-hmm, with Crossfire. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, we were up there doing some. Um, uh, guitars with Jim, and then I said, "Look, I've got to go up to the Gold Coast and do some guitars with uh, with Louis." And he said, "Can I come?" And I said, "Yeah, man." So we drove up to to Louis's place, found Louis, and um, Louis is just such the most beautiful guy. And we went into the studio, and um, we sort of, you know, there was a lot of talking, and you know, talking about things. I was looking on the wall, and there's all those things of silk degrees, you know. Yeah. Uh, Lionel Richie, you know, hello, and I'm just sort of, you know, looking at these things going, Jesus, you know. And then I would just, you know, we just dragged the, the rhythm track in that we were playing to and um, and uh, we're at 88.2, I think, so we had a bit of trouble getting it to 88.2, but then uh, I just said, all right, here it is, it's, a, it's an eight-bar solo. So, and I said, do you want a chart? He said, no, no, it's fine. And, and I queued it up and he, he played that. And I went, okay. And he said, 
do you want any more? And I said, yeah, maybe give me a couple more. And he played a couple more. I mean, they were all to die for. Yeah. yeah. And, and I just went, well, that first one is it. And I, it was just, that's, that's the real art of a great session. Oh, musician. absolutely. Yeah, he's yeah, a fantastic yeah, player. Yeah. Hey, I'm curious, uh, though, how did you, how did you get uh, Bill Champlin involved? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I actually had uh, another uh, vocalist here do it, but it fell over. It wasn't quite working. And so I got home and uh, a typical Kerry, I just think, oh, you know, bugger it. I'm just going to ask Bill Champ. Yeah. So I just I sent him a, I sent him a message on Facebook, and uh, I said hi Bill, it's Kerry Buchanan here. You don't know me from a bar, so would you be interested in singing on a track? And then we got onto email, and he just said, look, you know, here's here's the fee, and, you know. And I said, fine, it's you know, and I just said, can you you know, I'll send the track over. Don't do anything until I pay you. And uh, so I sent the the rhythm track over, you know, just like an MP3 of the. Of the rhythm track with this guide vocal, yeah, and and I and it, the next day I get a Dropbox thing from him, and he he I thought he was just going to do the lead vocal, yeah, he did all those backing vocals. Oh, I mean, wow. I, oh I, my actually, God. I actually sang, I actually sang to those backing vocals to <laughs> thicken it out. I got all of that, and I, and I hadn't even paid the guy, <laughs> and I just I was just sitting there listening to it going. Fuck, that's Bill Champlin. Yeah, yeah. and and it was just and then I, when I when I went to do the backing vocals, like to thicken them up, yeah. I actually had to sing to Bill Champlin, and li- I literally had to solo it, you know, and hear that oh, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I was li- listening to it. I'm going, man, I'm actually singing with Bill Champlin, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great vocal, man. That's I mean, you know, he's. He's one of the best, you know. Yeah. He's just incredible, isn't he? You know, you guys have interviewed him. I've heard yeah. him interview. Yeah. Two times, actually. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. What, a hi- what a history. I mean, it's just amazing. I will say that the, the vocal arrangement on it itself, I mean, it's it's, it's just beautiful. It's just like that's a, him. That's him. It is that's so him. tight. But, but Bill is, I mean, honestly, he's a, he's a great guy. Uh, yeah. You know he loves music because when he delivers on something like this, he, like you, he uh, he gives it 110%, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, the only thing I did with him was the actual, never going to give you up. No, that's what I sort of had. Yeah. All the rest of it was Bill Champlin. I got yeah. all of that from him and, you know. So I, I can't take any <laughs> credit for that. That was all him. Yeah. So And that's, you know, that's amazing. I just wanted a, a lead vocal and I got all that. So I was just, I was just. That's you know, great. That's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't surprise me that you know you sent him the track, and he, you know, he, he probably the reason he sent it back to you so quickly is probably because he dug the track. I mean, he, he loved it. He's yeah. a musician's musician, and I think if he likes what you're doing, I mean, Eddie and I, we've inter- interviewed him. I mean, it's not like we hang out with him, but I just get the vibe from him that he's the kind of guy that if he really likes what he hears, he's 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 into it. You know, he's going to do it. Yeah. Never gonna give you up. No, I'm never gonna give you up. No, I'm never gonna give you up. No, I'm never gonna give you up not again. Some peace of mind. Oh, 
And that was the track, Never Gonna Give You Up, from today's guest, Carrie Buchanan, off of his new record, Goodbye Yesterday. Hey, another, another track that caught our ears is uh, Miss Josephine, and it's, it's obviously, obviously it's an homage to Steely Dan, and even the lyrics have a, you know, kind of a Fagan-esque appeal about a crush you had on a girl uh, who worked in a deli, and of course, you, this is a true story, but you never asked her out, did you? <laughs> I was too. I was too. I, was too, I would, This this is back in the nineties. I was yeah. very. I was doing a lot of running. I was very fit, and I was. Uh, I, every day it wasn't a coffee. It was. I'd always go in there about four o'clock, and I'd ask for. I was um, a caramel slice nut, and I'd just go and get a caramel slice. But I'd always pretend to watch to look at other things until, <laughs> until she came up to the counter and sure. I'd say hello, hello, darling, how are you going? And you know, and she said caramel slice. I go thank you, and you know, and she was gorgeous. And I just, I just didn't have the didn't have the guts to ask her out, you know, but it made for a good song, I think. So there was no pickup line or anything like that? I mean, can, no, give, no, us a no. pick, give us at least one pickup line that you use on her, something. Give us something. Oh, nothing. No, I, I got nothing. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. So how many yeah. days, was this day after day you went in for a caramel slice? She had to catch on to something, you know, eventually, right? Every, every day, man, every day. And, and a guitar player friend of mine just said, just ask her out, man. And I just, and I, just I, can't, I can't. I can't. And he said to me, he actually said to me, I'll go in there and, and do it for you. And I thought, no, 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 no. That's, that's you know, that looks a bit sort of, <laughs> right, a bit right. sort of dubious. So, no, I never asked her out. But, uh, and, and strangely enough, uh, I'm in the same area and I walk past that same deli every day. Uh-huh. And, uh, and but clearly she's, she's not in there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, she must have been waiting for you as long as she could, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. You know, she was thinking, when is that guy going to ask me out? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Nuts, you know? Either that, either that going to write a song about me. Like yeah, that. that's right. <laughs> you know, the last track on the album is called, you know, Hard Goodbyes. And, and you know, what's interesting about this song is that uh, the lead vocal is uh, none other than a, a great guy named Kerry Buchanan. So, uh-huh. this is, you know, this is your lead, lead vocal uh, debut, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's very. Uh, actually, you know what? The and you won't believe this. My lead vocal debut. And I was just thinking about this the other day. It's mm. the first one on a record. Yeah. But um, <laughs> way back in uh, would have been the eighties when we were doing all those uh, jazz pro radio programs. I was doing one for Dad, mm-hmm. and Dad sort of like he got onto this the Chicago song called "Please Hold On," which is Bill Champlin. And he just loved that song, and 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 he said to me, um, he's going to do it. You know, he's going to do it. And I said, okay, all right. And he said, can you sing the second verse? <laughs> and I said, yeah, no problem. So we actually <laughs> sang it together, and uh, uh, you know, it sounded pretty. You know, we were pretty ordinary, but um, but uh, that was the first thing. And I I was always very nervous about doing a lead vocal. I had I had three guys actually, um, sort of um, up for it, but then they it just. Uh, scheduled con- conflicts and things like that. And I thought, oh, well. And Glenn was actually the guy. He said, sing it, man. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I just it. said, no, no, I can't do it. And he said, look, I'll produce you. And I said, okay. I needed someone to produce me because, you know, and say, no, we need another take here and, and we need some of this and blah, blah, blah. And so he, he was great. And so it turned out without him, it would have, it would have been much, uh, it wouldn't have been anywhere um, as bad as what it is now. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
we are You and I Just like a falling star We had it all Now I don't know where you are I just know You're gone I don't believe In these hard goodbyes What does it take To be satisfied Heartbreak And a strain City lights Wondering who You're dancing with tonight I've given up On trying to make it right I fool myself That I'm okay And the truth isn't always kind But I know that love is better when it's the track Hard Goodbyes from our guest today, Carrie Buchanan on Inside Music Cast. Well, you know, I, I got to tell you, Eddie and I both agree, you sound great on this track, and it, and it makes me wonder why you don't, you know, take to the mic more often. And, uh, you know, the 
this track, Hard Goodbyes, it's it's a beautiful tune, you know, musically, lyrically, vocally. In fact, the I think I, I understand that the influence behind this song stems from one of your favorite songs, which is You Are So Beautiful, which was, of course, yep. made by, you know, made famous by uh, Joe Cocker. Is that right? I want, yeah. I, yeah. I wanted, uh, I wanted a jazz-type version of that, like a, a more sort of dense sort of jazz chain or harmony, I guess, you know, and but with the same sort of um, cry at the, during the choruses, you know, that sort of is, and it was the same. I mean, if I could get Joe Cocker, I'd get him to sing Hard Goodbyes because it's just that the way that they, uh, they really sort of pour the, their heart into it and, you know, you can't help but sort of yeah. tear up when they do it, you know. Yeah. I, can't, I can't say I can tear up when I <laughs> sing it, but I think it's okay. You know, it came together much better than no, it's, I, it's, than an, I it's a cool track. I really enjoyed it. Kerry, let's talk about a little bit about the arsenal of the players that you had in this project. And, uh, you know, although you were very more than qualified to play almost every instrument on this part, uh, on this recording, if you wanted to, you know, you choose to have uh, real horns, uh, Rhodes, B3, you know, the singers. And, and uh, f- you know, for those uh, who aren't in Australia, you know, who, who are some of these wonderful people that, that sort of, uh, let's talk with the musicians. Uh, yeah, they just, they, I, I think it's always mm-hmm. uh, important to, to mention these guys. I decided this time to go with, a, um, with the same rhythm section because, uh, so it would sound, like I said before, a lot more cohesive. Uh, and uh, Bill Risby, who's uh, probably the guy down this way, um, an incredible, incredible musician. Uh, composer as well, and so I had him on roads and pianos. Um, Leon Gear, as you know from on from LA on bass, he lives down here now. A really great guitar player, Chris Gonzalez, who's um, I've played with for years, and he's just a he's a great he um, he he's just a great rock guitar player with, with the jazz sort of side of things as well, which is you know like what the music sort of needs, uh, and. Uh, and Brendan St. Ledger is one of my best friends on Hammond. Well, he's a great piano player too. And I, he plays sneaky Hammond. It's just beautiful, you know. So that was the main sort of rhythm section. And then there's all the, all the singers and, and you know, uh, uh, all the other sort of guys that uh, – do you want me to mention them? Or <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of people on there. But. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, I was uh, – you know, you do have the, – the musicians are, are pristine. Obviously, they know what they're doing and they know how to follow the vibe that you're setting for them. And even the singers. Yeah. And there's countless of singers. But yeah. uh, as we were talking about a little bit before the interview, you know, one one singer, her name is Michelle Martinez. She really stands out for me. She has uh, – she sings on a, a couple tracks. Shining Star and also Could This Be Love and she really let's just say she just shines you know tell us uh, a little bit about Michelle her uh, her voice is bigger than life yeah she's amazing and I t- can I tell you how I actually heard her for the first time uh, she was uh, I was finished a gig somewhere it was up near where I live and I called into this nightclub to, to you know say good day to a friend or a birthday or something and it was packed it was full of people and it was smoking days so it was like ugh. so anyway I went upstairs and there was this guy like a piano man guy <laughs> which was packed with people and then there was another sort of an, a, like a, a disco room an R&B room and then at the back there was this um, this door that and it said um, private function and I thought oh, okay so I walked and I could hear this band playing and I just sort of opened the door and then there would have been 10 people in there. And it was a DJ, a saxophone player, and Michelle Martinez. Mm-hmm. She was singing and I just I, and I just sat there and I just, you know, and then I, I, she finished and I said, 
I'm my name's Kerry, and uh, I just wanted to say, that, you know, I, I love your vocal. And she said, oh, I've heard of you. And we chatted away for a while. And then we started working a bit together. And then I, when I made Starting Over, I just knew I had to have her. And, uh, and she is the most professional uh, um, uh, artist that I've, I mean, it's just incredible. You get, I gave her a song. I think I gave her, um, I think it was on the first album, um, Starting Over, um, More Than You Know. She was in Adelaide, and I think I gave her a, the track, my dummy vocal and, and a Rhodes and the lyrics, and then she came in the next morning and just sang it down. And, you know, I, I got four or five takes, and we went to comp it, and we really didn't need to. It was just, I mean, you know, that's uh, the day before, I mean, you know, yeah. and that's what she's like, and it's just the voice of doom. It's, you know, <laughs> it, it, I just love it. I yeah. just can't get enough of it, you know. She's just, and she's beautiful. She's a great lady mm -hmm. and uh, really professional. She's fantastic. That's wonderful. Carrie, this 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 recording is is really lean, and, and I think what we mean by that is that it's not overplayed by any means. You know, the, the bass lines, the drum tracks, the keyboard arrangements, everything. You know, you've heard projects where the discipline uh, rule is less is more, you know, it's hardly applied, but, you know, you seem to really embrace that. And what was your recording philosophy as you entered the tracking and mixing session for this album? Um, I think um, I'm getting better at producing. I think I, um, I think the, um, the, the thing I've learned about producing the most is working with producers who do stupid things and you go, and that's actually the learning curve. Well, I'll never do that. And there is such a thing of, of just being being cool, being being nice, having the vision, having the what you want to hear, letting guys play, and um, and having the good charts, and uh, and just making it, you know, giving guys time, and uh, just getting what you want. But you know, and you know, some of the time you get, you know, you get other stuff, and yeah. you go, oh shit, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, did I answer the question, or did I go off tangent there? <laughs> no, that was perfect. Yeah, it was just you know, it's just such a clean recording. We touched on the fact that you know, part of it was recorded analog, and you know, I think that aids in you know the overall feel of of you know the, the songs. And I just wondered if you had like walking into the session, if you just had like a you know sort of a, a philosophy about how you wanted these songs to eventually turn out. And and I I, I think as a foregone conclusion, I think that you know what we're hearing is probably what you envisioned. Yeah, I, I always I learned something from a producer here, Rod McCormack, who's a great country producer, and uh, I did quite a bit of work with him. He would always ref have reference tracks. Yeah. Um, and uh, you've got to watch it because you can't. You've got to stay out of jail. You can't sort of steal too much. But mm -hmm. I would always sort of have <laughs> some sort of a um, a reference. It might be a groove. It might be a chord progression. Uh, it might be. Um, uh, the Hammond taking the forefront of it or the roads or something. So I would always have some sort of a, a reference and, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say one just because it, it, it's not, you know, it's not plagiarism at all. But yeah. um, when I did, when we did until I found you, all I, all I was listening to was up where we belong. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. I remember going to watching it in the movies and it's Robbie Buchanan and Louis Shelton. Right. There you go. On that track. Yeah. So I just uh, I just that was the sort of thing. And look, I'm not going to I'm not going <laughs> to beat around the bush. Miss Marlene I mean, you know, I, mean, I hope I, <laughs> I hope I, I hope I stay out of jail on that one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, and goodbye yesterday was whatever we imagined. You sort of, you know, you and that's how I sort of 
I listen to things and I go, well, that's the sort of flavour I want for this record, for that or that. And I always, I'm always going, okay, blah, 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 there's track one, track two, track three, track four, track five. I, I need something um, sort of hip like uh, Never Gonna Give You Up. And then I wanted like a relaxed track. And uh, so I had the vision, I guess, when I walked in. Yeah. And uh, I would play some people that, you know, hey, look, this is the vision uh, that I've sort of got. And I'll play eight or ten bars and then I go, okay, that's enough. So you just, you know what the tempo is and, uh-huh. and, and go from there. Hey, I just got another phone call from Michael Linhart. He was calling on Donald Fagan's behalf. <laughs> and, you know, he wants to talk to you about Miss Josephine. Exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call him back afterwards, okay? <laughs> you, know, you know, to your point, though, Kerry, you know, I think for most of us that are sort of, uh, let's just say, immersed and baptized very fully in the West Coast music vibe, you know what? When you When you... When you use little hooks or and you'd make them your own again, I think that's part of the appeal of this. Like when I listened to the tracks, I heard some things that reminded me. They weren't literal, but they reminded me of, oh, man, I remember that something like that, that hook. It feels like um, there was, in fact, let me bring something to mind. There was this one hook. I forget which track it was, but it reminded me um, of a slow ballad with uh, James Ingram. And it's, the track is called Whatever We Imagine or Whatever You Imagine. Yeah, um, yeah. It Listen to that track. And um, and, and it, it's, it sort of reminds me of, of what you did and what you did reminds me sort of what happened on that track but I sort of enjoy that I, I'm sort of like um, little tidbits are thrown at me and I'm like wow that, that, was, a, that was a cool little groove you know so mm-hmm. hey nothing wrong I think it's when you grow up too when you when you're um, sorry I think I interrupted no that's you. fine go 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 when you, um, I, I guess, because I remember where I was when I heard whatever we imagine, and the feeling, the heart, goosebumps, the, the tears even of that song is so strong, and that you, I, that's how I felt. And I would go, oh, I've got to write a song like that, to, even even to hopefully get someone to feel the same. And uh, and and yeah, and, and I hope I don't steal too much because I've probably said too much. <laughs> 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 but, but you know, I just um, that, yeah, I think I think that's the that's the thing. You know, you just uh, it, it, for me, it's you know, I remember where I was, and so I wanted to write those things. And I love that West Coast. I just love that West yep. Coast sound. You know, yeah. roads and pianos. I just yeah. I I still can't get enough of that, man. Yeah, I just, right. You know, I I just play Jerome. Every day, I play Jero every day, and you know, and I still hear things, and I go, "Wow, you know," and that you know, Jay didn't, and it's just amazing music. It was an amazing, amazing time. Well, you know, you're, it, it's it's really cool that you are, you know, in a sense, um, recapturing those sounds because we've had a few guests on the show. You know, from different parts of the world, like we've had Ule Barud from mm-hmm. Norway, we've he, had Andreas Alaman. He's, he's a killer. Yeah, we've had the state cows, and we've had you know uh, Barney Hurley from uh, Samuel mm-hmm. Purdy, yeah. and uh, you know those guys have all, you know they're all doing such amazing things in, in their own unique way, but really recapturing those sounds from the eighties, the, the West Coast feel, and it's just it's actually really nice. You know, you never th- you never thought you'd maybe hear that style of music again, unless you went back to an old record. But but you guys are really capturing that feel, and I think people are really digging it. I, well, I hope so. Uh, a couple of the guys, actually, most of the guys, were really sort of like, "Well, this is really nice to be playing Fender Rhodes again, and and really nice to have horns, real horns." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there was a couple of singers. Uh, I think it was Gary, actually, um, Pinto. Yeah. Uh, he he is an he's an amazing singer, and he's just a beautiful guy. And he came in 
to sing it, and I think he'd sort of listened to the, the demo or whatever it was. He came in and he sang it down a couple of times, or he, I actually let him produce himself because he's a great uh, producer himself, and I, it's better to just let let guys do what they do to get a, a vocal. So, you know, mm-hmm. so I just sort of said, look, you, yeah. you do it. If there's anything I want, I'll tell you. And he came in and he was jumping up and down. He said, man. No one records this music anymore. <laughs> and I said, "Well, yes, yeah, they they don't, you know, and uh, you know, whatever's hip today, I really don't care. I've just got right. to hear it the way I want to hear it. Right, exactly. And this is this is the way I want to hear it. And uh, you know, all those records that you know you guys listen to, and 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 uh, all, you know, all, all your guests, that's you know." They they played on the goddamn things, <laughs> so you know. So it's um it's just a sound that I love, you know. And and they uh, and you you know I think people say it behind closed doors because they're a bit afraid to say I love that West Coast thing because you know. But it was back in '82 and that was really the high the high point of it, you know. Yeah. You know, you could take this album track by track and just you know throw a vocal line or something on it and just uh, you know just make it really hip and envelope all the all the vocals and <laughs> make it sound like a share album or something. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you know, finally, what, our last comment here. Then we're gonna we're gonna cut it off. I think we, Eddie and I could probably stay here for another couple of hours and chat with you. But um, the cover art for this album is not only you know unique. We kind of talked about it a second ago, but but it's a true piece of art, and it's you know it was done by none other than. Uh, a past Inside Music Cast guest and a, and a, and a wonderful musician and mm-hmm. artist, Mark Jordan. And uh, tell us a little bit how, you know, you got Mark enlisted to design this uh, beautiful cover art. I had the vision when I started the record that I didn't want my photo on the front cover. I wanted to have artwork okay. and uh, a painting. And I had a girl here um, who, she was um, she was into it, but she went a bit AWOL and I hadn't actually seen her for a while. So I thought, oh, okay, what am I going to do? And I left it to the last minute. And I had some photos done of, and I thought, okay, well, the, the the sort of common thread of the record is Defender Road, so I was thinking I was going to put a thing of Defender Roads up on it, and it just it just wasn't doing it, you know. So I was thinking, what am I going to do? And I bought Mark Jordan's uh, on a perfect day, and I was sitting here with the headphones on, listening to the to the album, and just staring at this artwork. Uh-huh. And I thought, and I heard him on. I listened to your the interview with him. He mentioned that he was doing quite a bit of painting. So mm. I just sent him a message, like <laughs> like Bill Champlin, and I just yeah. said, "Hey, you know, uh, do you do painting for other artists?" And he said, "No, not really, but um, but you know, would you, uh, would you like me to send some stuff?" And I said, "Yeah." So he sent me three or four, and they were all beautiful. And uh, sort of looking through them, and I was thinking, "Okay, which one's going to fit for the record?" And mm. he sent another two. And that's the one. And I just, wow. I just said, that's it. That's and, cool. Uh, so I sent him a message, and I just said, man, I want it, you know. So um, I paid him. He sent me a high res uh, uh, photo of it, and that, that's it. And it's the most beautiful, you know. I've heard, I haven't heard one person say to me, "What's the artwork about?" Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so no, you know, it's, it's beautiful. You know, it's really beautiful. It is beautiful. So and I, I noticed. I think it might be on his site that you can actually purchase um, uh, a, a version of that, a print of that. Yeah, I think it's called Kerry Plays the Blues. I think it is, something like that, yeah. Very yeah, he actually cool. changed the name of it for me, for me <laughs> which is, well, it's very, very humbling. It's, you know, because he's such an amazing artist. Yeah, he's good. But, uh, yeah, no, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm really proud of it. But he, um, I'm proud of it, and I'm, I'm really happy that he said, yeah, man, no problem. 
Well, Carrie, the whole project is beautiful, and yep. uh, we're happy to have uh, honored to have been able to chat with you. It's been a while. We've we've been uh, threatening you to get you on the show for quite a while, and so I'm glad it happened. <laughs> and uh, it was a good time because the album just came out. Yep. And before yeah. we cut, before we uh, sign off here, tell us, uh, tell everybody where they can go purchase the album. The best place at the moment is actually direct through me. Uh-huh. Um, because uh, I never found the, the reason to have a, a website because I really didn't sort of, you know, I wasn't pushing any sales. But this time uh, I'm, I'm actually getting a website built. So there'll be a website. I would suggest it'll be kerrybuchanan.com. Yeah. Um, iTunes will be next because I've got to uh, take a week or so for the, for the stuff to be uploaded. Mm-hmm. And then so there'll be iTunes soon, CD Baby. Uh, direct through me if they go to Facebook, yeah, uh, and uh, and Bandcamp, which I got heard through uh, Mark Jordan. So that's really cool. That's a great site, and you can uh, you can choose what you what you want to pay. It's um, it's okay. pretty good. It's a it's a good good site. Well, we recommend this very very highly. As you know, me and Rick, we talked about almost every track on the album, and we love them all. They're oh, well done. Great. It's well produced. And uh, anybody that's out there in Inside Music Cast, uh, your listeners, you know, let's support Carrie and uh, and get some good <laughs> and get some great music too. So uh, let's I, spread the love. Do you mind if bit. I just do you mind if I just mention one person? Sure, sure. Just before just before we go, um, there's a fantastic guy that I met on on Facebook. He's my Italian brother. His name is Lorenzo Settipanella. I know Lorenzo. Yeah. He is just, he is so supportive and he helped get my uh, starting over and this one indeed into Japan. And okay. if it wasn't for him, um, it wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened. So um, I love him. He's just such a, a supportive guy and uh, I just wanted to mention his name. Because he learns those great. Yeah, he, he, he uh, is so good. He loves West Coast music. Man. Oh, he, he does. Loves, he does. He loves and every, more than me. <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while I see, uh, I'll be online on Facebook and I'll see a message pop up and it's him and he's just, he's just, ch- you know, kind of chiming in to say, hey, what's going on? What's going on with yeah. Inside Music Cast? Who's next? And that yeah. sort of thing. So applause for Lorenzo. That's awesome. Well, hey, Kerry, thanks so much. We appreciate the time. We've, we've gone a little longer than we an- had anticipated, but it was a great chat. And uh, we'll be sure to let everyone know. Uh, we'll, we'll post uh, on our Facebook site you know, where people can, uh, co- how they can contact you and get the, your, your album. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it, guys. And you, do, you guys do fantastic stuff. And I listen to it all the time. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be on, on your show. So it's fantastic. All right. Take care, Kerry. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, bye. See ya. See ya. Special thanks to Carrie Buchanan for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zape, Mikhail Ingstrom, Uwe Reith, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Uniland for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast.